I'm going to have Tom Perry, one of our elders, come up and share about his recent time in Romania and Ukraine. Thank you. I just want to preface this by letting you know that I am the elder responsible for our missions ministry, so what you hear is not just, it's something that the Lord has laid on my heart. And I want to thank you for allowing me this opportunity to share my recent trip with, to uh, Romania and Ukraine with you. It was the end of April, beginning of May that I was over there. And I learned a few things along the way that I hope will encourage you as you seek God's leading in your life. Well, I learned several lessons. The first one I learned is that there are no coincidences with God. You want to look for his message. In early April, I got a travel uh, email alerting me to a bargain fair between Cluj and Atlanta. Never have I seen Cluj in a bargain email, a bargain airfare. And so um, I looked for coincidences. God seemed to be saying, Tom, you need to go. And with what we've done recently with, uh, with our partners in, in Romania and Ukraine, I, I, took it, I took advantage of it. This was too much of an, a coincidence for me to ignore. I booked the trip. So um, you see, I've got a map here of Ukraine and with cities in red marked that I'm going to mention. And so you see Mariupol, Donetsk, Kharkiv up here, and uh, Chernuts, which is where I went. Americans would pronounce that Chernovisi, but it's pronounced Chernuts, and then Cluj down in Romania. Uh, second lesson I learned was that God works in ways that we may not fully understand. When Fellowship Bible Church first started supporting Jerry Wells in Romania in 1988, before the fall of communism, I could never have imagined that in 2022 that uh, the evangelical community there that he connected us with would be positioned to play a role in helping Ukrainians during a Russian invasion. And by that connection, we had opportunities to help as well. I couldn't have imagined it, but God knew. So we drove from Cluj to, uh, to, to Chernuts. It's an 11-hour drive. It took us 11 hours to get there. Drove on two-lane roads the whole way there. Basically, imagine going on Doug Gap Road for 250 miles, and that's what we did. Um, Donnie Gruyan, the pastor of Renastria Church, organized the purchase of $2,500 worth of relief supplies that had been given by our church uh, for Ukrainian relief. And this, uh, this was, so this was money that you had given, and at that time, Donnie asked what they needed. He said that they, they told him they're in desperate need of uh, hygiene supplies, so you saw a lot of toilet paper that we took there. Uh, Donnie is in the trailer arranging the items as we pick them up and, uh, and pass them on to him. And then this, uh, here you'll see our fully loaded trailer ready to go. There's a bill of lading on the right. This was needed for two reasons. One was that Ukraine border security was controlling entry to the country. They didn't want any Russians going in. They didn't want casual tourists going in and you had to have a business reason for going in, or you were Ukrainian. And so the bill of lading was our ticket for getting into the country. Basically said we were bringing these things in for donation. And so after having our passport screened, we made it in there. And so, uh, but, but before we left, we left at 4.15 in the morning, and this is Donnie Mihai Collar, our newest supported Romanian pastor, and me set off for the, the, the trip at 4.15. Uh, nearly 12 hours later, we pulled into Chernuts. Our, again, our American tongues would pronounce it Chernivitsi, if you look at it on a map. But, it's, but they pronounce it Chernuts. You can see the welcome signs. If you know Ukrainian, I don't. You could re may be able to read them. And I saw Ukrainian images with the flag uh, all through the city. Chernuts is a city of about 300,000 people. It's about the population of Chattanooga. But I think we've got more paved roads in Dalton than they have in the whole city of Chernuts. Just basically the arterial roads going through the city are paved. Downtown is paved. But the rest of them in the neighborhoods and side roads are all um, dirt roads. And so this is a dirt road leading to the Bible school. And uh, so we, we arrived at the Philadelphia Bible School 
early in, in the late afternoon. It's an evangelical private school for the elementary grades, basically the Christian Heritage School of Trenutz. And it's the current base of operations for the Ukrainian Baptist Romanian Church Association. This part of Ukraine was, went back and forth between Romanians, so there are a lot of Romanian speakers in this part in, of uh, southern, southern uh, Ukraine. And it's from here that food and supplies are distributed to refugees who live at the school, refugees who live in the town, because Trenutz is a relatively safe town, so ref internally displaced refugees go there for safety. And, uh, and, and, and then they send, also send out supplies to the rest of uh, Ukraine in what they call the uh, conflict area. In the left picture, you see Pastor Vitali helping to unload, but the right picture is more typical of the unloading process. There were refugees at the school helped to, uh, with the unloading. The basement of the school is where food and supplies are stored. You see them behind the, the folks there. The top picture is uh, Pastor Donnie with Pastor Pavel, who is the head of the Ukrainian-Romanian Baptist Association, and he's the director of their relief and refugee response. We toured the school after we got everything out. The school was shut down, uh, and they went to virtual learning, and they converted all the classrooms into uh, dormitories and uh, family bedrooms with families sharing the space. These classrooms have air mattress, and, uh, but I did find, see a classroom, the top picture, you see that they had proper beds for the people to sleep on. The school now houses 170 refugees living in these classrooms. And they also had one classroom turned into a medical supply room. It's in the bottom picture. They also provide clothes for the, for the refugees. Most of them come there with just the clothes that they have on their back. And so the walls and two, uh, two, two hallways had uh, boxes of clothes for them to pick through and get what they need. The school cafeterias are now the dining halls for the refugees. That's 170 people living at the school. And in this next picture, you see a van with a bunch of black stuff on there. There's, those are holes in the van. Pastor Pavel told me the story of this van. He said that a German brother had donated it to them so they could deliver supplies to the other areas of Ukraine and use it to evacuate people out of the conflict areas. The holes I'm pointing to in this van are from a bomb shrapnel that had exploded as the van was evacuating people from Maripol. So the, I saw the effects of this war are very rear, uh, real. I met an elderly couple who had just escaped shell shelling in Donetsk, which is where Walter and Jeannie Carter spent a year back in the 90s with, uh, with, with Campus Crusade. They had gotten there earlier that day. They looked shell-shocked. I mean, they, they were like zombies. Um, uh, now we had several uh, problems uh, on our way to Ukraine. So at the end of the day, it was too late for us to go back that same day as we had originally planned. And uh, so one of the pastors had to stay with them in their house. And uh, this is the street in their house, uh, in front of their house, in this housing development. And it's uh, basically Brookwood, houses on both sides next to each other, and this is the road. But it's uh, a dirt road, and I don't even think it's graded or anything. It's just dirt that's, uh, that cars have been through. But this is a very typical road there. I want to introduce you here to pa Pastor Andre and his wife Maria and his children. They have a three-bedroom house, uh, and you see them in the uh, kitchen slash dining room slash uh, living area. And uh, they're the ones in front. They have three children, and you see the woman in back and a small small child. They're a refugee family from northern Ukraine who um, I was able to talk with them. They don't speak any English, but they, um, they, they uh, through Google Translate, they told me their house was shelled and bombed, and the, the father, Edouard, owned three stores in, in the city, and the Russians just came in and ransacked and stole everything that was in his stores. So they had to get in a car and leave. It took them uh, seven days to drive 1,200 kilometers to get to safety in Trenutz. Um, they, uh, Andre told me that these people have only been in church one time in their lives, and that was when their twin boys were baptized. And so what they're doing is they're just loving them, sharing the, the, the home and the food that they have with them, 
and they're, they, and they're praying and to, that they can love them uh, to Christ and that they would be drawn to Christ. So please keep these people in your prayers. On Saturday morning, we went back to the Bible school and we saw groups of uh, people outside the basement entrance, which is where the storage uh, facility is. These people are Ukrainian refugees living elsewhere in Chernuts, and they come to the Bible school for food and hygiene supplies. Each family is allowed two garbage sacks of supplies every two weeks, and this woman keeps track of uh, who, who comes in there. Andre told me that there are more than 50 people a day who come in from town to get these supplies. Here you see the bags. They just fill up bags and then hand them out to people outside. This is my last Ukraine picture. This is the house of a Ukrainian pastor located in a Kiev suburb. The Russians had shelled his house, but Pastor Pavel, he gave me these pictures, and he told me that that pastor is still in Kiev, and he's still ministering to the people there in his church and the people around him. And when I was given these pictures, um, I thought, you know, the problems with our sanctuary are really small potatoes compared to what those people are going through. Next lesson I learned while I was over there is the power of a unified witness to the community. Fellowship Bible Church was able to purchase material for seven evangelical churches in Cluj to hand out to their neighborhoods, just as Christ for All People supplied us with materials to hand out in 2019 when we joined with 40 other churches in the Dalton area for its Saturate Northwest Georgia project. The folks in Cluj have reached uh, 6,000 households in their communities. On the Saturday before Orthodox Easter, I packed back bags with uh, Geneza Church, which is the church that Emmanuel is from, and I went out with them, rang doorbells, and shared what we were doing. I got to pray with uh, two people. It was in English. They had no idea what I was praying, but they asked that I do the praying. Later that day, I, I packed with the Renastria Church, seen here, and went out with them. We had prayer before we went out, and my experience with them was different because the neighborhood was primarily apartment blocks. Their lobbies are locked, and so we had to place material in the mailboxes outside the lobbies. And you also see a picture in the bottom of a group of girls uh, from the church went out together, and they went into an area that had houses there. Uh, on Wednesday evening after Easter, leaders from six of the seven churches got together at Geneza. This is Emmy's church. And uh, they discussed the, their experiences and plans for the future. And uh, their general consensus was that this was the first time that most of the people in their churches had done anything to sharing their faith with their neighbors and the neighborhoods. And it was received well by their people. And the lesson, one of the things that they learned was that they need to develop relationships with the people in the neighborhoods of their churches and uh, to be able to reach them for Christ. So they discussed tentative uh, follow-up plans um, and then the last thing I saw in my time, time there was how people step up to serve when God brings the opportunity to, for service to them. There are over 6,000 Ukrainian refugees in Cluj, and Christians there are looking for ways uh, to minister to them. Most of the refugees are women and children. Emmanuel's mother, Nadia, is the head of the Cluj Mops Group, Mothers of Preschoolers, and so the Cluj Mops used their connections to get a bus donated so that they could take 110 women and children on a fun outing to a shuttered salt mine outside Cluj. The salt mine is basically an amusement center 500 feet underground. And this was followed up with an evangelical outreach with those same people a couple weeks later in which the, and, and, and the Ukrainians were more open to receiving the gospel because of the kindness that they were been shown thus far in uh, their time in Cluj, and their plans are to do more evangelical outreaches with the, uh, with the eva uh, evacuees in, in Cluj. This, the Youth with a Mission House in Cluj is housing 27 Ukrainian refugees from a single church in Kharkiv. Uh, it's a Baptist church. It's one of the ones that the Russians had been shelling. Donnie and Mihai's church, Renastria, they cook for the Ukrainians three nights a week. And here is Miha's wife, uh, Lija, at the, in the center, transferring the dinner that she had prepared from her containers into the YWAM house containers. I got to cook uh, one evening at the YWAM house with Goldie and her daughter, Isa. They're both members of the Renastria Church. 
And if you follow me on Instagram and, and Facebook, I, I, I made a post about this, but the post auto-corrected their name. Instead of saying Goldie Denish, it said Goofy Jeans. <laughs> and I, I apologized to Goldie. She said, no problem. She had fun with it. And Tim also had fun with it, <laughs> texting me while I was there. So, um, but at the bottom of the, of the picture is the YWAM dining room, and I got to sit down and eat with the Ukrainians who were there. They spoke Ukrainian and Russian for the most part, but there were a couple people who did speak English. So I was able to hear the stories of their lives in Kharkiv and why they had to evacuate Cluj. And I'll tell you something, you sit, as I sat down with them and went through this whole experience, I was ministered to. I felt like I wasn't doing any ministering. I felt like I was the one being ministered to. This last picture is of the three pastor families who we support there in, uh, in our missions ministry. And by the way, uh, if, if y'all are interested in joining with the missions ministry and helping direct what we do, we meet the second Tuesday of each, uh, second Wednesday of each month at six o'clock. Let me know and I'll put you on our distribution list. But on the left photo is Emmanuel's family with uh, his brothers and brother and sisters. And the girl in the, on the right with the green dress is a Ukrainian refugee living with his family right now. Uh, the top picture is, is of Donnie, Grian, and Donna and their children. And the bottom is our newest supported missionary, Mihai Kaller and his wife, Lija, and their two children. This is in front of a mission, a village church in Topa that Mihai pastors. And one thing, one interesting I learned, thing that I learned there is that Easter in Romania is a two-day holiday. They have Easter Sunday like we do, and then they have the day after Easter is also a holiday. And so Mihai led services in this village church, and uh, all the child, their children participated. Lija did as well, and uh, and and. I was surprised that we did it on a Monday, but they said this is the second day of Easter. So I just want to thank you for this opportunity, and, uh, and, and thank you for what Fellowship Bible Church has done for the people in Ukraine and, uh, and for uh, the people in Cluj, too, and helping them to spread the gospel in their towns. Thanks. I'm going to have Tom just pray for our ministry in Ukraine and uh, Romania. Okay. Lord, just, I just want to thank you for the opportunity that I've had to, uh, to go there that you gave me and the prompting that you gave for me to take advantage of uh, going there. You made me a deal that I couldn't refuse. And so I want to thank you for it. I want to thank you for what the people there are doing and the fact that we're allowed to be a part of it and to help them in reaching their communities and the country next door for Christ. I want to pray for Pastor Andre and Pavel and Vitali and Victor and the other pastors in Trinutz who are helping uh, people who are suffering the effects of war, but they're also uh, sharing the gospel uh, with them. And the gospel is being spread in Ukraine. I want to thank you for that and pray that you continue to be with them and keep them safe. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys for being here this morning. Welcome to, uh, again, to worship at Fellowship Bible Church. Um, we're going to be in Lamentations 3 in a minute, but um, as uh, Tom was talking there, I was just reflecting on, he made reference to uh, the fire in our sanctuary, and, and I was thinking about last week we had um, one of our elders, Jerry, was up here sharing with you about our financial situation and we have faced challenges as a church, for sure. I mean, then, then if you go back over the last two years and all the, the various challenges that come along with that. And right now we're facing a challenge of, being, of, of not being able to worship in our main building. And we're hoping that, we're, that end of July, beginning of August, we're, we're back in there. The, the progress is good over there. We see God's provision here. But we've had to be flexible. We've had to, to make changes. And it's been, it's been a challenge, for sure. Uh, we... As we said last week, we're facing the fact that our, our giving is behind right now. And so as a church, we're having to make some difficult financial decisions. And yet we see this, and we see that the ministry of the gospel still is, is continuing. 
And the problems that we face, the, the obstacles that we face, are so small compared to what other churches are facing all around the world. But make no mistake, the church in Ukraine is not just surviving, but is actually expanding. And, and the same in, in Romania, what, what they're seeing is more opportunities for ministry, more people to minister to, more people to serve and to share the gospel with. That is an expansion of the ministry of the church. So it's easy to, uh, every single one of us, every single one of us has a tendency to default into being self-focused. And that, that is true of individuals. It can also be true of churches. And let's just be real. It can be true of churches when we face our own challenges and struggles for us to be so inward focused that we've got to make sure we, we're doing what we do right. And then we, we protect what, what we're doing inside the church. But guys, that's not, that's not what we're here for. And so I, I, it's so good for us to be reminded that the ministry of this church isn't limited to this building or that building or Dalton, Georgia or Whitfield County or North Georgia as a region. The, the ministry of the gospel that we're all here to participate in uh, reaches far beyond uh, our walls in ways that we do not understand, in ways that we do not always see. So I'm so thankful that Tom was able to give us a reminder of that, that number one, our, our struggles are so small compared to what other brothers and sisters in Christ are facing. And number two, God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. And, and, and the, the crises that we face are often those things that open the door for the great gospel movements and expansions. And that's what we're praying for in, uh, in Ukraine right now. Um, in the life of our church, we got a lot going on in this season. Um, next week, we are going to be gathered at People's Farm. So do not come to this building. Do not come to this property next Sunday. There will not be anybody here. Um, there are little green maps on the counter in here, on the table out in the gym, and you can exit out that way. Make sure you get one of those. It has a map to go to People's Farm. We will meet there at 11. I would ask that you get there a little bit early so that you can be seated. If you haven't been to the picnic before, what we do is, is we have a service under the pavilion, but not everybody's going to sit, not everybody's going to fit under the pavilion. So we'll have some people seated under the pavilion. Bring your own um, bag camping chairs, because we'll have some people that will be seated out around the pavilion. We'll have a worship service there first. And it will be kind of a shorter service than normal. It will be outside. We're going to pray for good weather and a beautiful day. But the service will be one service at 11. And then at noon, we'll have lunch together. And the church is providing um, fried chicken out there. But we need you to bring desserts and uh, side items. The church is also going to be providing drinks. And then after lunch, we're just going to hang out. And there's going to be activities. There's going to be fields. There's a playground. There's, there's things to do. And so if you want to play volleyball, if you want to play ultimate frisbee, if you want to just sit and talk and meet some new people, it'll be a great opportunity to do that next Sunday. So we, I really, um, this is not a members-only deal. You know, if, if this is your first time here this Sunday, um, next Sunday, we'd love for you to come because it's going to be a little bit like behind-the-scenes church life. You'll learn more about this church and this group of people next week than you will this week. I hope you enjoy this week as we open the Word together. But if you want to get to know the church, get to know the people, and, and let's all hang out together next week. Plan to stay for, for a couple hours, y'all. Don't, don't, don't plan to come at 11 and eat as fast as you can and get out by 1230. We would love for you guys to stick around and to um, spend time together as a church family. And uh, I understand everybody has other things going on. Um, but uh, plan to stay for, for a little while to just hang out and, um, and spend some time with your church uh, family, brothers and sisters. Another event um, like that as just a fellowship event is um, the following Saturday, not, not this Saturday, but the Saturday after that is June the 4th. We will have our first Saturday fellowship, and that will be at Hag Mill Park um, on June the 4th, and it will just be a simple event where families are meeting together, uh, families, singles, whoever, whatever generation you are, however old you are, you are invited um, to just come and hang out, and it's just a fellowship event to meet new people within our church and uh, to build relationships. Another opportunity for that that there's been some rumblings about over the last few weeks, there's been kind of this, uh, this elite group of people behind the scenes that are working to start a... Um, church softball team. If you have any interest in that, then um, 
the big guy in the booth, his name is Josh. Go talk to him. You can talk to me. Um, text one of us. If you have any interest in being a part of that, um, come and talk to us. That would be co-ed. Um, and that would be this summer. So any interest at all, just let us know. And then tonight, um, finally, is uh, our, our just a normal Sunday night for us. It will actually be the last night of Awana for this school year. Our youth will meet this evening. Awana meets this evening. We'll have life groups meeting this evening. So we'd love to have you here, and um, particularly if you're already a part of one of those ministries. Now, if you would, turn with me to uh, Lamentations chapter 3. And in Lamentations 3, I got some good news for you. It starts to get better. Uh, Lamentations 1 and 2 are unapologetically very, very difficult. Um, There's a lot of despair. There's a lot of dismay. That's what lament starts with. Lament, I've told you, is, number one, it's important to recognize lament is a distinctively Christian faith-filled activity because a lament is a prayer that assumes God is there and God is listening. Okay, so lament starts with a turn towards God. It continues with a complaint about the situation that you are in or that your, your society is in. And it continues then into a, a request. You turn to God, you complain, you ask something. God, change this, move. And it ends in a statement of trust in which you believe in God. You restate your belief in God and you continue to trust in Him even though the circumstances are dark. Here in Lamentations 3, we see more hope than we have yet to this point in the book of Lamentations. But the hope springs from the beauty of rehearsal because truths that are rehearsed are recalled at the right time. One of the great honors that I have is to get to participate, not just in things like this where I'm presenting the word on a Sunday morning, but in special events with church families. It's an honor for a pastor to be able to sit with a family and stand in front of a group of people and deliver the word at a funeral service to to declare what is most important to remember on that day. It's also an honor to to sit with a a young couple in preparation for the wedding ceremony and to help them walk through how do we plan the ceremony, how do we get organized, how do we make sure that that we are accomplishing the right elements in the service and that it's not an incredible stressor the day of. Because any wedding, if you've been there, you know weddings have a tendency to get a little bit stressful and the more organization on the front end, the better the experience the day of. And so what my job, my honor that I get to do is I get to sit with a young couple and say, listen, whatever happens, I can't control the caterer. I can't control the photographer. I don't know what color the flowers are going to be. But if you show up and you show up and I show up, we will make sure you get married that day. Okay? That is, that is my goal. We're going to be, and, and we, we only need the three of us, really. And we will make sure that this happens and make sure that this ceremony goes smoothly. But it's not just having the right plan. It's actually being able to gather together the day before and rehearse it. And what I say when I have the opportunity with a group of people, bridesmaids, groomsmen, parents, grandparents, bride and groom, on the day before the wedding, what I always say is, we're going to take it seriously tonight. We're going to figure out what we're doing tonight. And then tomorrow, we're not going to have to think about it as much. That's the goal of the rehearsal, is to know exactly what you're doing before you do it. So on the day when everybody is riddled with with stress and you're worried about making sure everything goes right, on the day of stress, you don't have to think about where you're supposed to stand because you walked down the aisle three times the day before and you know where you're supposed to stand now. That's the goal of the wedding rehearsal, so that you show up in the right place, you stand in the right place, you do the right thing at the right time. It's actually the same in sports. It's the same if you've worked with in coaching at all. My basketball coach, when I was a kid, he had to hammer me. My basketball coach, I mean my father. He had to hammer me to say, don't practice those goofy trick shots. Because you're never going to do that in the game. And if you do that in the game, you're going to be sat down immediately. Practice the shots you're going to take. Because practice means preparing for when the day actually comes and you have to actually do it. And so you need that muscle memory 
from the repetitions of doing things the right way so that in the moment you don't think about it. You just do it. You just do it because you've done it enough. So a wedding rehearsal, a good rehearsal means you don't have to think about where you're going and where you're supposed to stand on the big day. An, an athletic practice with a kid, you're developing them to learn that muscle memory so that enough repetitions will allow them to not have to think about what they're doing when they're actually performing in the game. Today, our goal is to learn what it means to rehearse the gospel. And when we rehearse the gospel, then that muscle memory of restating the beautiful promises and words of the gospel flows up when the anxiety comes up. Because here's the thing. When you're in the darkness, it's hard to find enough light to read the truth. But if you've dove into the truth and rehearsed the truth in the seasons of light, recalling the truth in the seasons of darkness is that much easier. And so today we're, we're focusing on how lament allows us to release our sorrows in our, in our prayers to God, but how a necessary part of lament is rehearsing the gospel before the crisis comes. And so for those of you that, that are not suffering an intense crisis right now, if you're not suffering, you better be preparing because something will come. And if you're not suffering, you might actually have the call and the opportunity to be leading somebody else through that period of suffering. So what's the right tool? What's the right approach? We're going to see that in Lamentations 3. It's going to look really dark for 18 verses. I told you, Lamentations 3 is better. It's better news than chapters 1 and 2. But let me clarify. The first 18 verses don't get any brighter. Okay, It's going to get darker, and then it's going to get brighter. So we're going to approach this passage in two steps. Number one, how hope is lost in 18 verses, 1 through 18 of Lamentations 3. And then point number two, how hope returns in verse 19 and following. Lamentations one, or 3, verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. I'm going to stop right there to just make sure we know where we are, what we're talking about here. I'm going to review here. If this is your first step into Lamentations, you're with us this morning, but you've missed the last couple of weeks, the person talking right now is Jeremiah the prophet, the prophet of Judah, and he's talking about Jerusalem. And the he, the he that has done all these bad things in these first six verses, the he is God. God is pouring out punishment, is pouring out wrath on his chosen people in Jerusalem and in the nation of Judah. The Babylonians have come in and they have destroyed the city. They have destroyed the city walls. They have ransacked the temple of God where God would dwell in the midst of his people. And now Jeremiah is crying out in pain and lament because his people are suffering and because he is suffering. And he's voicing his complaint towards God. But it's important to know that the he, the actor in these verses, is God himself. God is the one who has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. Verse 7. He, God, has walled me about so I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is, bare, he is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and sent me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and has and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. I told you, 
going to get worse before it gets better. Verse 17 and 18, y'all, this is, this is extreme. Look at, what, look at what he says. There is no peace in verse 17. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is in verse 17. It's not just that I don't have happiness. It's that it's been so long since I've had happiness, I don't even remember what happiness feels like. Verse 18, so there's no, no peace and no happiness in verse 17. Verse 18, so then there's no endurance. My endurance has perished, has died. My ability to endure died. And so has my hope died. I'm telling you, this is intense. Jeremiah is in a place of complete despair in this passage. And it's been building through chapter 1 and 2. If you've been with us the last couple weeks, you've seen these same sort of things where Jeremiah is just recognizing that the Lord is pouring out His wrath on His people. And we've got to stop. We've got to stop and we've got to say, now, why is this again? It is because the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah, remember there are two nations at this point, and the southern nation of Judah has been wicked. They've disobeyed God. They've turned from God. They've worshipped idols and other gods. They have not kept his covenant with him. They have, they have not followed the law that God gave to them. And God has been merciful. He has been, as he promised, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. But God does not put off justice forever. The fact that God is slow in, in anger and is abounding in mercy does not mean that God pours out mercy forever with, at the expense of justice. There will be a day where God pours out justice for every sin that has ever been committed. And for the nation of Judah, this is the day. What, what Jeremiah is living and seeing with his own eyes and lamentations, he recognizes, he makes it clear, this is just. God is just, and he is pouring out his wrath on Judah, not because he just doesn't like us, but because we've sinned against him. And so for us, one of the things lamentations does is it reminds us of the weight of sin. That sin really does need to be punished. That God really is just, and that all sin any sin ever committed will be punished. It's a guarantee. And so when we know that, then we have to ask the next question, what do we do about that? Because we don't want to be where Judah is, where Jerusalem is, where they are paying the penalty for their own sin and their own rebellion. But we ask the question here, why is hope lost? Well, because sin has to be paid for. And because what Jeremiah, or what Jeremiah and the people of Jerusalem are experiencing is that, verse 1, he is afflicted. Hope is lost because I am afflicted. Verse 2, hope is lost because I am in darkness. Verse 3, hope is lost because God is against me. Verse 4, he's wasting away. Hope is lost because I'm wasting away. Verse 5, hope is lost because I'm bitter. Verse 6, hope is lost because I'm in so much darkness I may as well be dead in verse 6. That's Jeremiah's prayer. It's, it's desperate. You know, uh, we had a gathering of our um, elders yesterday, and uh, Jerry, our chairman, um, shared a devotion from Psalm 23 about the beauty of Psalm 23. One of the lines in Psalm 23 that most of us have probably heard before is when David prays, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And for a shepherd, the staff is meant to direct the sheep, and the rod is meant to both protect and correct. Protect the sheep from outsiders, from wolves and other animals that may come to steal the sheep, but also the rod is meant as a corrective for the sheep to move them in the right direction. And what um, Jeremiah is experiencing is very different than what David experiences. Psalm 23, David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In Lamentations 3.1, Jeremiah says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. That Jeremiah and the nation of Judah are under the correction of the Lord and they have not yet made it to the comfort stage because they're still paying the penalty for their sin, asking God for mercy, asking God, what do we now do about this? But now I want you to see something. 
I'm going to read verses 19 through 23, and this is your critical thinking stage. I hope you're not just passively listening. I hope you're engaging with me and engaging in the text. I want you to think about, as I'm reading verse 19 through 23, what changes? Because 22 and 23 are beautiful. 22 and 23 are the kind of verses that we write songs about and we sing. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. It's beautiful. How do we get from there's no peace, I don't even remember what happiness feels like, my endurance is gone, and my hope is dead. How do we get from there in, 18, or in 17, 18 to steadfast love of the Lord never ceases in 22, 23? Let's read together and let's see what, what it is that changes. Verse 19, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So what changes? Is, is the temple in Jerusalem rebuilt in verse 19? No. Are the Babylonians overthrown in verse 20? No. Does the promised Messiah that's going to deliver Israel from her enemies, does the Messiah show up in 19 and 20? No, he doesn't. Does, does anybody come to, to stand up for, for Judah and fight against their enemies? No. Is the wall rebuilt? No. Do the, is there this great spiritual revival in the nation where everybody turns back to God? No. None of that happens. In fact, it's important to note, the circumstances don't change at all. There is zero change in the decimated streets of Jerusalem between verse 18 when hope is dead and verse 22 when the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. So what then changes in the mind, the perspective, and the emotional response of Jeremiah? He remembers something. It's, it's the only thing that happens there. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And guys, that right there, that's what you need to know today. What you need to do, know today is that sometimes circumstances change. Sometimes God delivers and you move from a point of great pain to a point of great rejoicing because God has miraculously done something. He has miraculously healed. He has miraculously restored. And we pray for that. We work for that. We live in obedience, striving for that. And other times... Your circumstances change zero. And the crisis you were in yesterday, you wake up and today you're in that same exact crisis and nothing has changed. And Jeremiah says, the answer in those moments is to recall the truths that you know. To call something to mind and from the thing you call to mind, derive hope from that. I remember um, years ago studying Psalm 42, and I was reminded of it. In um, y'all, and I think I've mentioned this before, but maybe I haven't. There's this little book about lament um, by a pastor named Mark Brogop. It's called "Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy," and um, it's a powerful little guide to both the Psalms of Lament and the Book of Lamentations. It's been really helpful for me in studying through this. But in that, he cites um, Psalm 42 in a way that I remember studying years ago. And my favorite part of Psalm 42 is what makes the world think that we're crazy. Have you ever talked to yourself? Have you ever, how about this? Let's step back from that one. Let's make it about the other people because other people are crazy. I'm not crazy. So you ever, you ever stop at a stoplight and you look at the car next to you and there's somebody just like, talking to themselves. And, it's, and in this day and age, it's weird. Like There's Bluetooth things, and you don't always see if somebody's on the phone or if they're talking through their car or whatever. But you just see somebody, and they're, I mean, maybe they're like having an argument with themselves, and they're like yelling and screaming, and you can't hear what they're saying because they're enclosed in their car. Or maybe they're just like looking in the mirror at the stoplight, giving themselves a pep talk, like they're going to an interview, and they're going to like hype themselves up for something like that. And you think, man, that, that dude is crazy. But listen, Psalm 42.5, this is a Christian process. This is a Christian faith-filled act. 
It's okay. I'm giving you permission to be a little bit crazy. It's okay to talk to yourself. Psalm 42.5 says, did somebody say thank you? <laughs> Psalm 42.5. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? The psalmist in Psalm 42.5 addresses not God in prayer, not the world out there, not his enemies. He dresses his own soul. Why are you so cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? He's asking his soul a question, and then he instructs his soul. Put your hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. It's a stubbornness of faith, of, of recognizing that I'm having this emotional experience where I feel despair, and, and I feel so broken inside, but I've got to tell my soul to stop being so downcast, and I'm going to do it by telling my soul where to find hope. Put your hope in God, not in your circumstances. Because if you, if you are deriving pleasure in life personal happiness, emotional support from what you see with your own eyes, you are going to leave disappointed. Because if all you're seeing is, is what you see right in front of you, then there's a lot that you're missing of this life, of what, of what eternity means, of what the, the world really is all about, because it's not just about what you see. But the things that we remember are often the things that cause us the most pain or suffering. It, when you're in that point of pain and suffering, it's easy to remember the other times you've been in pain or suffering. When you're at that point of bitterness, of anger, somebody has let you down, somebody has disappointed you, it's easy to remember the other times you've been let down, the other times you've been bitter. And what's hard to remember are the times of joy. What's hard to remember in those times of crises are the times when God has shown up, has, has redeemed you, and what the promise of eternity means. We joke about the guarantees we have in life, and we say, well, the only thing guaranteed is, is death and taxes. Right now we can add higher gas prices to that and things like that. But I'll give you another one. What you, what you are guaranteed to experience in life, people will let you down. People will fail you. They will disappoint you. They will anger you. They will fall short. And sometimes it's Christian people. Sometimes it's family. It's those that you love the most that you're closest to. Sometimes it's your own siblings, your own parents, your own children are the ones that let you down the most. And, and, and that's a promise. Here's another promise. You're going to experience some level of excruciating pain and suffering. Could be physical, could be emotional, could be relational. Somebody is going to let you down. Some disease is going to come into you or your family, and you are going to experience the type of pain that threatens to crush your soul and move you to complete despair. And if you're not there, and if you've never been there, then this is why we're talking about it, so you can prepare for when that comes. Because everybody's going to experience something like that. And the other thing, if you're not there, then maybe what God is doing in you, what God is speaking to you through his word today, is how you can be better prepared to help others. Because if you're not there yourself, you probably know somebody that is, that needs a little bit of, a help, a little bit of help out of that pit. Because maybe they're not able to talk to their soul like the psalmist in Psalm 42.5 and say, soul, hope in God. And say, so maybe you've got to be the one to come to your brother or sister, your friend, and say, your soul does not need to be so downcast. You do not have to live in this despair. Let's look together at the hope that Christ brings. And guys, the scriptures, the scriptures are full of so many beautiful promises. Second Peter verse, or chapter 1 refers to God who has granted us precious and very great promises by his divine power. If you just look through Scripture and you say, what are these gospel promises? What are the gospel truths that I can know, that I can rehearse? Well, there's the promise of salvation. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and confesses with the mouth, mouth resulting in salvation. So if you need hope today, hope in the gospel of salvation. That if you confess with your mouth, 
that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Confess, believe, salvation. That's how it works. And then from that point, nothing changes that. And so there's the promise of salvation. There's also the promise of freedom from temptation. If you're in this place where you're just so crushed by the temptations you're facing, maybe you need 1 Corinthians 10 that says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. God provides a path to victory over sin. God can provide for freedom. Maybe you need the promise of provision. Uh, Matthew 6 God, Jesus says to his followers, do not worry about your life, about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink, about, what you're, about your body, uh, what, how you're going to clothe your body, what you're going to wear. Isn't life more than food? Isn't the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or weep or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more worthy than they? And that's just three. We've got a whole long list here that we could go through. And so here's our discipline. We rehearse those truths. We rehearse Romans 10, 9, so that we know that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, then we have received salvation. God raised him from the dead. We are saved. We rehearse that. We remind ourselves to that. We say it in the mirror. We say it in the car. We say, why are you downcast on my soul? You believe in Jesus, and therefore you have received salvation. We rehearse those gospel truths to ourselves so that in that time of despair, they're still there in our mind. And we can pull the, the Lamentations 3.19. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Jeremiah had known that, had read that, had prophesied that. Jeremiah knew the character of God. And so because he knew the character of God, he was able to recall to his mind who God is and what God what God would do. So we're going to close it this way. How hope returns. Hope returns when sorrow is released. That's what, that's what lament does. Release that sorrow, put it into words, and put it into a form of a prayer before God. To say, God, life is hard, hard hurts, and I'm trusting you with the hard. And so you both release the sorrow and you rehearse the gospel. And you reclaim those verses that maybe you learned as a child or reclaim those verses that were so powerful and you think, well, everybody knows John 3.16. It's good that everybody knows John 3.16. It's a beautiful verse. Rehearse it. Remember it. But then also, hope returns through not just releasing sorrow, rehearsing the gospel. Hope returns when we say it. Hope returns when we say the words of the gospel. When we speak the words of the promises of God. We say it to ourselves and to others. We pray it. We put it into words to God, the form of lament. We turn to God. We state our complaint. We ask for that which we long for, and we trust God. We say it. We pray it. We preach it. Every single one of us is, our, we're all preachers. Every single one of you have the opportunity to preach, but often we preach messages of guilt better than we preach messages of grace. We even do that to our children. We preach messages of guilt of, you better do this, you better get in line, you better obey me. But, but what we need in times of despair is that message of grace that says God has forgiven us of our sins and you can find new life in Christ. Make yourself a preacher of grace and of the gospel. Rehearse it with yourself and with others. And also, we sing it. We sang a song today that says, we sang together the songs of faith we sung through doubt and fear. And guys, that's what we have to do. In the seasons of doubt, fear, despair, we sing the songs of faith, we rehearse the words of the gospel, and we say it back to ourselves. Here's what a, song, what a good song does. A good song takes something that you are struggling to believe, and another saint puts it into words and says, this is what this is what we must believe. This is where we must go. And sometimes even the person that is writing it is writing it because they're struggling to find the faith to believe it themselves in the midst of their dark, dark circumstances. But as they put that into words, they're saying, you guys, follow me. 
Let's put the gospel into words together. Let's rehearse the truths of the gospel together. And then we sing. Actually, today we get one more. Say it, pray it, preach it, sing it. Today we get to taste it. And so the invitation I'm going to give you right now, the the team is going to come up. They're going to lead us in some special music. And I want you to just sit, enjoy, hear the words that are stated, hear the gospel hope within. But then I also want you to, uh, if you haven't already, there are um, cups with the bread and the juice back here on the counter. And so grab one. And as soon as we come out of the song, we're going to taste it. We're going to rehearse the gospel together by tasting and seeing that the Lord is good through the shared experience of his broken body and shed blood.
gospel through an action. If there was any uncertainty about the message of the gospel, it was made clear as Christ sat with his closest friends and followers at the Last Supper and took this already ancient practice of Judaism and he clarified the original purpose in making it about the atonement of sin and the sacrifice that he would suffer. And now when we do it together, this is a communal exercise in which we together say we identify with the Savior whose body was broken. And when we receive this and we taste it, we, we identify ourselves again at a greater level that we are the people of the broken Savior. So we do this in remembrance of Him because His body was broken. as we take the cup and remember Christ's blood that was shed, we remember that the punishment that was poured out in Jerusalem and in the nation of Judah that is described in the book of Lamentations, that we all deserve the same end, but for Jesus, who raised up a cup and says, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of of sins and the blood that was poured out was poured out as payment and then when Christ was resurrected it was re he was resurrected for victory so we do this recognizing both, both that our sins are paid for and we have received victory in his name do this in remembrance of and Father we give you the praise and the glory we recognize that you have given us these great and glorious truths, these precious and very great promises. And may we be like Jeremiah and have the ability to call them to mind on the days that are dark. 
the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And God, your mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you would stand and receive a blessing from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for worshiping with us.